This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good evening. It's wonderful to be here with you. Uh, first, I want to, to just to tell you that my wife and I weren't born missionaries. And I just want to share shortly with you how God called us into into the mission field. Oh, in 1970, my wife and I got born again, and uh, we really started working for God. Uh, we were involved, involved in about just about every ministry in church, our local church. Eventually, we became the uh, worship leaders, and oh, how we loved to worship. Fellowship every Sunday morning and evening, free coffee, and that became the pinnacle of our Christian experience. That was the pinnacle of our Christian experience. Missions never ever entered our minds. We were so busy with our church and uh, we couldn't be bothered what was happening in the rest of the country. It was just about our church. And uh, I regarded missionaries as people who could never make it in the corporate world. And now they all of a sudden decide they are going to work for God. See? <laughs> and uh, whenever the missionaries came to our house, and uh, I looked, especially my kids, the one said to me, Ach, Papa, kijk wat er krok karreele. And they were we working for God. And I said, Lord, that is the last job I will ever do on earth. Now, that's the one prayer God seems to have answered. And um, <laughs> so, and we moved to Franschhoek in 1980. And there we started the church, and, uh, which eventually became Shofar Church. And we again led the worship. And whoa, what times we had. But now, prior, prior to planting this church, in, uh, uh, in, in Franschhoek, we joined a church in, in, in Belleville. And uh, for many years, I was an elder uh, in that church. And uh, so one morning, I was, I was a pharmacist, and I had a uh, flourishing business in, in, in uh, Franschhoek. And one morning, December 94, 14th of December, we were so busy because I was the only gift shop in those days in Franschhoek as well. In walks the pastor from Belleville's wife. And I said to her, Ingeborg, what are you doing here? She says, well, uh, I've just come to say hello because for the past four months, my, wife, my husband and I have been doing missionary work in the Ukraine, but the church doesn't want to extend our leave, so we have to come back. So I said, well, seeing that I was an elder there, I also better say something spiritual. And uh, I said, you know what? I've always said to the Lord, if he wants to use me, I wouldn't mind going to Russia. He says, are you serious? Look at the goosebumps. And I knew I painted myself into a corner. I, <laughs> I couldn't now say, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was just joking. Uh, uh, So eventually, about three days later, we got a fax 
from the mission organization in, uh, in uh, 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 Kiev, uh, Ukraine. Would you consider joining our staff? So I said to my wife, these people have invited us now to go to the mission field. And she started laughing. She said, us going to the communist country, never again. We were so afraid of the red danger in those days, you see. That we never, never, ever. And uh, so I just kept quiet. A few days later, about five days later, another fax came. There was no uh, cell phones or, or computers and faxes. Uh, another fax came. What is your response? So I said, well, stop laughing and start praying because these people are getting serious now. <laughs> serious now. And uh, so, uh, so we started praying. And then I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do a cop out. I said, all right. I'm prepared to come, but only for four months. And they wrote back, four months would be ideal. It will suit us because uh, then the students, we, we were asked to join a, a Bible school. Then the students will uh, have uh, uh, study, finished their studies and they would have uh, be qualified pastors now. So a few days later, I got uh, another fax with a questionnaire. And one of the questions was, what is your ministry? I said to my wife, well, what is our ministry? We, you know, we preach, we lead the worship, we put out the chairs, we clean the toilets, and we make the coffee. What is our ministry? So I wrote, I'm a very emotional man, and I cry easily. My wife has got an infectious laughter. If you can use that, we're prepared to come. <laughs> so they must have been very desperate because about two weeks later, after serious consideration, I think from their side, we got, the, we got the reply, please come, we believe we can use your ministry. So, but you know, God used that to expose us to a short-term outreach, missions outreach. It's only on the mission field when you expose yourself that you develop a burden for the lost and for the nations that God has created. This evening I want to talk to you about the sending church, the heart for missions. And some of you can relax because I'm not going to speak to you directly. I'm going to speak to the leadership. Not just primarily to Sears, but I'm going to speak to the pastor, to the elders, the cell leaders, and all those who lead ministries in the church, whether it's missions department, children's ministries, and so on. I want you to listen carefully. John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Psalm 2, verse 8. Only ask, and I will give you nations as your inheritance. The subtitle of message is multiplication beats addition by far every time. And you'll hear this now. You and I are called to make disciples and send them out to expand God's kingdom. Rather than capture them, count them and keep them in their seats. 
God's kingdom is multiplied when churches give away their resources, our people, our time, our money, ourselves for his work. There's a game called Giveaway Checkers. Now, it's a simple game. The goal is to keep to give away all your checkers by putting them in a position to be jumped and captured by the other player. The one who first gives the first one to give away all his checkers is declared the winner. In essence, you win by losing. It's a game we all need to learn to play because in God's economy, the church that sends the most wins the most. Yet few uh, pastors or churches actually play giveaway checkers or have a desire to do so. It's easy to see why. Our culture at large doesn't celebrate those who grow their fruit on someone else's trees. We may praise kingdom impact, but we reward church growth. We may talk a lot about kingdom priorities, but more often often than not, our success is measured by how many people we keep, not by how many people we send. The church world, the pastor or church with the most checkers wins. But any time I fully realize what Jesus has done for me and all that lies ahead, it's hard to be stingy with the people, the resources, and the platforms I've been entrusted with. Another problem is our long history of clergy or pastor-cultured ministry. By elevating, lifting up those in vocational ministry, like preaching and teaching. Example, pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. As a special class of people who are uniquely called to ministry, we unintentionally restricted and downsized our sending pipelines. Every Christian, every one of you, is called into full-time ministry. Once we step over that line and begin to follow Jesus, everything we need, we do, is supposed to be done in His name, representing Him with a goal of advancing His kingdom. But clergy, the pastor-centered churches, tend to downplay this. By seeking to identify and send out a few well-trained and fully uh, funded missionaries, they inadvertently raise the entry bar to ministry so high that few can climb over it. In contrast, giveaway churches lower the bar. They seek to identify and send out Jesus-following engineers, teachers, truck drivers, accountants, entrepreneurs, doctors and nurses, sportsmen, motor mechanics, who are willing to apply their trade wherever they are needed to help the cause of the gospel. They understand that the front lines of evangelism and ministry are most often found in the marketplace, 
and not within the walls of our churches. I want to be clear. I'm not against church growth or big churches. But when Sias and George stand before God, their ultimate measure of their ministry and stewardship will not be found in how many people they jammed into the campuses on a weekend. But it will be measured by what you did or do once you leave this building. Let's be honest. Too often, we church leaders measure the success of our ministry by one criteria and one criteria only. How large is it? How large is the attendance? How big is the budget? How good is our worship team? And so we spend all our money on things that will increase our attendance, our budgets and our capacity and our entertainment. But if John 12:24 is true, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Then Jesus' measure of success of our ministries, he doesn't measure our success of our ministries not by how large we can grow the, the storehouse, but by how widely we distribute its seeds. Jesus' measure of the church is not seating capacity, but sending capacity. I believe that every church, every ministry, and every follower of Jesus Christ ought to be devoted to planting and giving away what they have for God's kingdom. I believe that churches that give away both their people and their resources are the churches who will expand the kingdom of God into the future. How many young aspiring pastors, when they graduate from Bible school, have their sights set on acquiring a big, notable ministry, one of big attendance and big budget, and even bigger attention for the guy behind the pulpit? But that is an idolatrous and self-centered approach to ministry. When I had prayed, thy kingdom come, what I really meant was, my kingdom come. There are two basic questions about discipleship that we have to ask ourselves over and over in every new season of life and in regards to whatever resources God has given us stewardship over. A, whose kingdom are we actually building? Ours or God's? Secondly, do we really believe that Jesus grows his kingdom most as we give away what is given to us? Now, if you are not a church leader, I want you to understand the crucial role you play in the church's future. I believe that the future of the Christianity lies in your hands and not in the hands of our leaders. Jesus has promised about the greatest of the greatness of the church are about the ordinary people being filled with the Spirit, turning the world upside down for God. As leaders, our job is not to gather you, amaze you, and collect your funds. Our job is to help you discover the power and potential of the Holy Spirit in you.
You, the ordinary believer, you are the tip of the gospel spear. The Great Commission will be completed only when we as church leaders get serious about sending you out to what God has called you to do. And you get serious about doing it. In Romans 1 verse 14, Paul says, I'm under obligation to everyone who has not yet heard the gospel. Other translations render under obligation as debtor. Because Paul is using language that describes a debtor's relationship to his creditor. When you are severely in debt, your life no longer really belongs to you. It belongs to the creditor. And Paul thought of himself as a debtor to those who had not heard about Jesus. His future was not free. Every person who knows and understands the gospel is under this same debt of obligation. As David, David Platt said, every safe person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsafe person this side of hell. We pastors and church leaders are not free to build ministries that mainly make life more comfortable for us. Each of us is under obligation to do whatever we can to get the gospel to all those around the world who have never heard. And that's, that means releasing, planting the seeds that we have been given. It means letting go and sending out our very best to bring a harvest in God's kingdom. Even, especially when it doesn't benefit our church directly. And listen, my young friends. The gospel leads to fulfillment. The gospel leads to fulfillment. And the only true fulfillment in the life of a born-again believer is when he leads a lost person to Christ. Nothing compares with that. There's joy in heaven, not for raising the dead or healing the sick, for one lost soul whose life is turned about. And it's not our programs or our entertainment. Our God is ascending God. He sent his best into the world to save us. Jesus is referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament. After his resurrection, Jesus passed on his identity to, the, to his disciples and said, As a father has sent me, I'm sending you. To follow Jesus is to be sent. Jesus' command to every disciple is to go. Matthew 28 verse 19. We may not all go overseas, but we are all to be going. This means that if you are not going, you are not a disciple. And church leader, if the people in our churches are not going, we are not doing our job. A church leader can have a large church of thousands of people in our attendance, uh, 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 in our services. But if people are not going to pursue the mission and call of Christ, those leaders are delinquent in their duty. Dieter Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls any of us to follow him, he bids us come and die. 
Jesus did not say, come and grow, but come and die. And he showed us what that means by his own example. It is not through our success that God saves the world, but through our sacrifice. He calls us first to the altar, not to a platform or a stage. I find that a lot of Christians in churches are tired of just sitting around. They feel like they are supposed to be doing something in the mission of God, but don't quite know what it is. They go to church where they hear that Jesus is building his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against them. But they don't see themselves or their church advancing against the the gates of hell. They seem just to be getting by. Many can't remember when a single adult convert, one truly brought out from darkness into light, came to Jesus in their church. And they certainly can't remember one whose story they were personally a part of. Studies indicate that something like 90% of evangelicals have never shared their faith with anyone outside of their family. The Bible in, in Revelation is very clear. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, And the word of their testimony. My friends, we cannot improve on the blood of the Lamb. It was perfect. We cannot improve on that. But the word of our testimony. Why every one of you have got a wonderful story of your salvation? Why do we find it so difficult to share our testimony outside in the streets in the corporate uh, uh, corporate world? Why? Why? Most churches have a difficult time maintaining their ground, much less storming anything that belongs to Satan. Gates, after all, are defensive ramparts, not offensive weapons. Prevailing against the gates of hell does not mean keeping Satan out of our backyards, but plundering his kingdom. And sadly to say, in the West, only 1% of churches are growing by reaching lost people. About 95% of church growth in this country and all over the West is as a result of merely shuffling existing Christians around. Oh, the worship in that church is so wonderful. That is why I'm moving there. Or the teaching in this church is wonderful. That's why I'm moving there. Oh, the talent in that church Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Don't you think that these two problems, A, believers who don't know how effectively to disciple others, and B, the gradually shrinking church in the West have to be related in some way. Yet very few pastors and church leaders see raising up disciple-making leaders as a primary object. We measure success by size. And in doing so, we neglect the one thing that can propel the church forward into the next generation and to the ends of the earth. Spiritful disciple-making disciples. Churches that want to penetrate their world with the gospel 
think less about the Sunday evening bang and more about equipping their members to blast a hole in the mountain of lostness. Members need to learn to share the gospel without the help of the pastor in the community and start ministering in Bible studies, even churches in places without, uh, without a church. Churches must become disciple factories, sending agencies that equip their members to take the battle to the enemy. Now, I'm going to test all you mathematical gurus and uh, freaks. Multiplication beats addition every time. Now, uh, this is like a, a friend of mine. He works for... Uh, Danelle, uh, you know, space. And uh, whenever he goes on holiday, he takes all these math books to read as uh, relaxation. Can you read that? Multiplication beats addition every time. Now, here we go. If you have a choice between receiving $10,000 a day for 30 days, or getting $0,01 doubled each day, which would you choose? Now, I, know, I, I, I can see you, you guys, you think this is a trap. Now, almost every student chooses $10,000 a day. Because, think about what you could buy by the end of the week. Sure, seven. 50,000 is enough to buy 10 gamings, uh, gaming stations with widescreen TVs and enough left over to buy a second-hand BMW. Eh? And in 30 days, you'll have $300,000. <laughs> but doubling your penny daily, however, would net you over 10 million in 30 days. In four months, you'd have, I can't, <laughs> compared to only 1.2 million if you had taken on the $10,000 a day. Now, many churches still pursue success via the $10,000 a day model. Tell an, asp an aspiring megachurch pastor, that you have a program by which he can add a thousand people per month to his church for ten years straight, and he will likely faint with joy. Before the first year is over, he will be invited to speak at conferences all over the nation, and Christian magazines will have his face splashed across their front uh, covers. Leaders would line up around the block to buy his books and have him sign their Bibles. Yet if that pastor trains up just one person each year to lead another to Christ who in turn trains another person who leads another person and they each do that for 30 years. By year 30, they will have won nearly a billion more people than he would have by adding a thousand people every month. But here lies the problem. Netting $10,000 a day feels much more gratifying, at least at first, than getting 
doubled during the first week. If you choose, choose the doubled uh, 0,01 route, after a week, you would only have $2. Whereas your friend who chose $10,000 a day would be running around town with 70000 in, $70, in his pocket. He would be placing a deposit in a new beach house while you still be living in your parents' basement. In the same way, focusing on attendance growth, adding a thousand people a month feels much more gratifying to church leaders. But successes are immediate. You can brag about them, but this is not the road to long-term kingdom growth. My friends, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The church is now the vehicle for the completion of his mission. Jesus finished the purpose, the, the purchase of salvation, paying the full price for our sins on the cross and shattering the powers of death in his, in his resurrection. But the mission of salvation is not yet complete. As Martin Luther said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one heard about it. Through us, Jesus continues the work of salvation that he commenced in his death and resurrection. In that sense, his work is not finished. Thus, you can't really call yourself a follower of Jesus if, don't, if you don't see yourself as sent. He sends each of us somewhere to some group to make disciples of those who do not know him. We think of missionaries as God's super servants. The word missionary is never used in the Bible not even once. That's because all of God's people are commanded to go. There is no special class of sent ones. So the question is no longer if we are sent, only where and how. Many of us are waiting for a voice from heaven to tell us where, where God has really, what God has really told us in a verse in John 20. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. When you have that verse, you don't need to wait for a voice. As, sparse, as uh, Charles Spurgeon used to say, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. The church exists for mission. Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. Without the mission, a church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. Don't laugh, say, Amen. God has placed a calling on every born-again believer. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call to be involved in Jesus' mission is synonymous with the call to follow Jesus. So many of us are trying to find God's will for their lives. That has to be one of the dumbest phrases Christians use. Finding God's will. We don't have to find God's will because it's not lost. <laughs> Second Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His will is that we be involved in that mission. We usually pray, God, if you can't command me to go, send him. Uh, 
chances are your prayers, change your prayers to God, show me where and how you want me to go. The question is, you see, is not if we are called to pour our lives out for the mission, only where and how. When God began his work in you, had in mind your family, your friends, and even other nations too. He has no interest in making you a gospel reservoir. He wants to make you a gospel river. Every church is founded for the same purpose, to finish the Great Commission. Jesus birthed the church on a promise of the Father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. If a church is not pursuing the Great Commission, it really has no point in existing. Let me see. I want to end with this. A church is the only institution on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. The church is the only institution on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members versus a club exists purely for the benefit of its own members. You must choose. Do you want this church to be a club? Or do you want it to be a church? It's not about you and me. It's all about Jesus and his kingdom. I was invited in Ukraine to go and uh, to, to a little village. Membership of the church was about 60 or 70. As I walked into the foyer of this church, there was a beautiful plaque in the foyer. Beautiful thing. Now I went to read, I saw it was in English. So I went to the pastor, I said to him, uh, do you know what, what it says there? He says, no, 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 a missionary friend from America gave it to me, but I, I don't know what it means. I can't read English. And this is what it said. If the future of the world for the church does not become more important than the future of the church, then the church has no future. Let me personalize it. If the future of the world, or shofar, does not become more important than the future of shofar, then shofar has no future. What we did eventually, when all the churches became too many for us to handle there in the Ukraine and Russia, we formed a committee and we joined the South African church to such a church because they were very, very poor. We asked them to send a few dollars a month to come and visit them, teach them. I would uh, go around and find out what the churches needed in teaching. I would let the church in South Africa know they need this teaching of the Holy Spirit or in family life or whatever, they would prepare and come over and teach there. But there was one Duomini here, South Africa, 
You know, the, the fear we had for the communists in those days. So, uh, for 10 years, I struggled with this guy. He wouldn't come and visit. Eventually, after 10 years, he agreed to come. So, when he landed the, at, the, at the airport, he didn't even greet me. He says, Johnny, I don't know why I, I came here. What, what am I going to teach those Russians? Uh, uh, I, should, I should be on the next flight back home. I said, listen, brother. Even if you don't know what to preach, tell them stories about the, our animals in the Kruger National Park. I said, but when you finish your story, don't forget to ask them who wants to accept Jesus. <laughs> and uh, so I, with his interpreter, I put them on the train, and they went there in the west of Ukraine to visit his church. After about 12 days, I met them at the station again. Here, this guy, as he got off the train, it, it was as if he was walking on cloud nine. He had a halo around his head. I said to him, I said, Harvey, what happened? He says, you know, I did what you, tell, what you told me. He says, on Sunday morning, I led 67 lost souls to Christ. He says, I've never, ever led one soul to Christ before in my ministry. Three months later, he resigned his church and he went off to the mission field because he had tasted the joy of leading a lost soul to Christ. And my dear young brothers and sisters, that is what I wish and pray for you. Expose yourself to short-term outreaches. Then you will experience the joy and the fulfillment of the gospel of Christ. May the Lord. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.